Hello there, all things Montessori community. How's everybody doing? I hope you're doing well and I hope you're in a colder place than I am because it is like a balmy 90 degrees here all the time. But thankfully I'm recording this inside. <laughs> so excited about today's episode. It's two guests that I've been wanting to have on for a long time. I have on the podcast, Joe Eisenberg and Paul Riley, the two amazing Montessori dads behind Sapling Supply, which has been a longtime supporter and sponsor of all things Montessori. We just have the most fun conversation. We talk about Montessori furniture, what it's like to be a Montessori dad, and you know, just a little bit more about the vision and journey of Sapling Supply. It's so much fun, and I hope you guys enjoy. We have a new patron to announce. Thank you so much, Rachel, for becoming a patron of all things Montessori. Rachel, love your name, obviously, because it's my name too. Um, if you want to become a patron, you can head on over to our Patreon page. It's linked below. There's a couple different options there that you can choose from. And I just want to also say on here, um, for our patron members that have not gotten a sticker yet, I am so sorry. I ordered them and now they're lost in the mail. So I was on um, my computer this morning, like with Etsy, trying to figure it out. They will be here soon and I will get them out to you soon. I promise they're just lost in the mail right now. So thank you guys so much for your patience. And of course, this episode is brought to you by Sapling Supply. Sapling Supply, you get to hear all about it in this episode. They are an amazing company and I completely am behind them 100%. In honor of this episode and also in honor of Montessori Dads, Sapling Supply is offering a limited time promo for one month only using our promo code MD20. You can get 20% off anything site-wide. Of course, you don't have to be a Montessori dad to use the promo code. We're just trying to spread the word a little bit more and give some Montessori dads some love. Additionally, if you are a Montessori dad and you have any kind of insight, stories, anything to share, please email me at allthingsmontessoripod at gmail.com or you can reach out to the Sapling Supply guys on their website. We would love to hear anything you Montessori dads have to share. So again, to get 20% off anything site-wide, use the promo code MD20 for this month only to get 20% off. And I really hope you enjoy this episode with Paul and Joe, the founders of Sapling Supply. Well, I'm so excited today that to have the creators of Sapling Supply, aka our amazing sponsor on all things Montessori, Joe Eisenberg and Paul Riley. Welcome to All Things Montessori. Thank Hello. you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, um, Paul is the more practical and I'm more goofy. So <laughs> that's great. It's good yin and yang for business partners. So you guys are not only the founders of Sapling Supply, but you're also two Montessori dads. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, two little girls, three and two, still in uh, early Montessori stuff, um, getting to that really aggressive toddler phase. <laughs> oh, I love how you use the word aggressive. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, intense exploration. That's what we'll call it. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And um, Joe, you said that your daughter just finished first grade? Yeah, she um, she spent a lot of her, uh, you know, before first grade years in a Montessori program. And, uh, 
you know, she definitely fell in love with the aesthetic. And currently she's a part of a school that isn't technically Montessori uh, in the current school district, but they certainly do have a lot of like free learning structure in their um, in their program. Nice. That's yeah. so great. So um, my first question, we ask everybody who comes on the podcast this question, and it's going to be a little bit different for you guys because you're not teachers in the classroom, but we always ask what your Montessori story is. So basically, how did you discover Montessori? And you can draw straws for who wants to go first. Uh, Paul, how do you go? I'll go. <laughs> I'll go. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, a Montessori kid growing up and it was really by uh, virtue of geography. There was one that was close to my childhood home uh, that my older brother was enrolled into. And then uh, I was, uh, and subsequently my younger brother as well. And, you know, I think kind of the charming thing is a funny story that my dad likes to tell about me saying that, you know, uh, we give him the opportunity to do art or math and he always chooses the art. And he was like, well, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that has kind of been uh, uh, sort of a running joke in the family for a while. And uh, it's it's been uh, uh, different now as a dad and uh, because I knew the vocabulary and wanted to expose my kids to it, mm -hmm. um, to see their journey, you know, having lived it and then seeing it through their eyes as well. Like it's a different kind of discovery and you have a different appreciation as a parent. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of been the grassroots ideology about behind why Joe and I've started the company. Mm. I love that. What about you, Joe? You know, Paul, I really love how you're, you know, describing just allowing your dad to see the things that you wanted to uh, expound upon and then giving you the freedom to to do that. Um, you know, my journey to, to Montessori, you know, it, it wasn't so much saying like, hey, you know what, one day I want to do uh, my child to go through a Montessori program. It's more that the philosophy that Montessori gives children, especially in the early uh, educational process, which is what we focus on, is going back to my father, who was an educator, and then his father, who also worked uh, in education, and how growing up in a small town in Vermont, you know, the general aesthetic is to explore, is to be in nature, is to allow the children to just kind of do their own thing with guidance. Mm -hmm. And when I became a parent, I didn't really see many opportunities in that kind of age group that had programs that could do that, certainly in urban areas. Mm -hmm. So to find something in an urban area that were, was still striving for this exploration, striving to be as grounded with uh, nature and also with, um, you know, just the freedom for failure uh, that just happened to be Montessori. And then I learned a lot more about Montessori mm -hmm. uh, based off of the aesthetic that my dad tried to teach. And then I fell in love with the way that, you know, the community really does embrace all of these, uh, these qualities that I certainly think should be everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I love how you talk about, both of you talking about your parents, because personally, I didn't get to go to a Montessori school when I was young. But I feel like I grew up in a Montessori way. I just didn't know it until I became a Montessori practitioner. And it just felt so natural to me 
I was just like, oh yeah, that's how my mom used to do things or, oh yeah. Like, so I just think it's so funny how, um, I think a lot of Montessori, well, I'm very biased obviously, but I think a lot of it is just human nature to explore. It just makes sense. You know, well, I would, I would say that, you know, by its very nature, Montessori is a generational learning tool, you know, and it, it obviously it's been passed down that way. And that's really something that we carried over in terms of the quality of product we wanted to bring to the community. You know, too often it's like a one and done snap together furniture deal. And that's sure. where we saw the, the lack in, uh, of what was available in the marketplace. And so, you know, you get this idea of, uh, Joe tells a great anecdote about his dad who built some uh, bookcases for the library at school that are at his childhood school that are still being used today. Oh, and wow. that's the thing that we want to be able to provide to a learning space is something that is going to stand the test of time and be a generational piece and that you're not always having to replace it. Um, and uh, his aesthetic is, is so good. And he, he's really the talent behind all of this. Well, that's so nice. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> Paul, I'm blushing. Jeez Louise. <laughs> so let's talk about sapling supply. Like how did this idea come about? Was it, you know, just sort of a epiphany moment? Did it just sort of fall into place? Like, let's talk about that. Yeah, it was really interesting because uh, when my daughter went to her Montessori school, um, and I think she started, it was around two and a half. <laughs> And her teacher, her guide was saying to us, uh, she just heard from the grapevine that I, you know, had a shop in my basement. And she said, hey, you know, we would love for you to build some shelves for us. And, you know, these are the things that are out there. And, you know, they are either astronomically expensive um, or they're Ikea and they're not astronomically expensive, but you're right. going to replace them every three years if you're lucky. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, it really seemed like a no brainer uh, to just help out because that's certainly going back to that anecdote about my dad. Um, but when I started to put these things together and when I started to see the reactions that the guides were having from seeing the, this furniture, um, I was feeling very uh, empowered in the sense that this really wasn't that difficult to create. And uh, there's no reason why we can't expound upon the needs that teachers have while embracing an aesthetic that is something that other companies just don't want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and what do I mean by that? It's that you know, I really like the idea of trying to be as uh, I don't want to say simple, but certainly as minimalist as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really creating utilitarian objects, though aesthetically beautiful, you could say, <laughs> though it's in the eye of the beholder, uh, where you know it does the job with as little frills as possible, but still pleasing to be in the environment, and also trying to create a wink to an organic environment. Um, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, some people have asked for color, like paint or, or whatnot. And, mm -hmm. and I would prefer like, no, keep it, keep it organic, keep it, keep the grain. Uh, and, and also try to eliminate any plastics. Um, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, uh, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but uh, is, is sustainability. And people have been using that around a lot. 
Yeah. And I don't really understand how people are going to apply it if they don't start on a foundational level of saying, well, what is sustainability in your foundation? And where Paul and I have really drawn the line is, is really just saying, we don't want to be greedy. <laughs> so how can we just continue to provide furniture for environments and how can we make it competitive? And it's by just not pocketing as much money for ourselves. And that's totally fine knowing that we can still be sustainable without focusing on just profit. Well, uh, you know, it sounds like we're these uh, altruist uh, heroes out here just uh, serving the community. But I think Joe's right. You know, uh, You're not saying no. <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly not saying no. Um, no it's, uh, it's one of those things where you, like he was saying earlier, we're trying to create the natural palette. We're trying to create something that's sustainable, that's going to be used by uh, many kids coming in through the experience. Um, you know, the only thing that I've added in terms of what uh, attracted us to creating Sapling and getting this started is that it's, it feels like, especially in the area of COVID, that in you know, terms of a learning space, it's like the last bastion of something that's technology free. And uh, with as pervasive as that is, and that sounds like a dirty word. I mean, uh, technology has helped in many ways, but, you know, it's so hard to be a parent and not have your phone around you. It, they see us and it's just, it's, that was one of the first things I, you know, I noticed with my kids becoming more tactile, uh, handling objects, exploring space, they see things differently uh, after spending time uh, at school. And, uh, you know, I think that's important. It's something that kind of drives what our success is about is, is honoring the space, honoring the learning environment and uh, doing it in such a way that, you know, ultimately if you're not spending a ton on furniture, it means you can advertise more, attract more people to the lot process, do more education in your community and, and bring more people to the Montessori fold as it were. Yeah. I, I think that it's so fascinating and really important what you guys are doing because yes, you're creating beautiful pieces of furniture, but speaking. No, I mean, I think I think so. <laughs> that they're natural. They they look gorgeous, right? But then, as a as a as a Montessori guide, it is so fun and amazing because the classroom comes alive when you put the materials on that shelf, and when it's beautifully made. I'm sorry, it just makes all the difference in the world. I've had so many Billy shelves from IKEA in my classroom, which they're fine. <laughs> They're yeah. $15 and it's fine. Look, um, let's not make Ikea mad. Right? No, I love Ikea. Like, <laughs> love you forever. But it is what it is. And you're right. It has a shelf life. Haha, <laughs> pun. Um, but, you know, the materials, it's the Montessori classroom is designed to call to the child. And you guys are literally providing the foundation for that because materials are going on those shelves and they're child sized. It's it's fun for the child to, um, to see them. They're sturdy. It, you know, furniture is something that I remember when I first got in the classroom, I was kind of like, oh yeah, I have to think about that. I just didn't think about it because I right. just sort of was like really involved with all this other stuff. It's just nice to have something that you can depend on. That's not going to break. That's not going to warp. That's not going to, you know, fall over. I remember, you know, having these these shelves that I had to get rid of because they were leaning forward and I had a little thing underneath them. And I was just like, this is going to fall on a kid. Like I can't have this in here. <laughs> it's 
it's just well, super you know, important. So thank you for the work that you do. And well, you know, I know those teachers are telling you that they're so grateful, but they really, really are. There are two biggest uh, feedbacks that we've gotten from guides. And, and that's honestly, Rachel, where all our designs come from is that we, they tell us what they need and, and then I it just that. gets sort of folded into the catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's a big, big part of it. And the other thing that they really enjoy is that the stuff shows up to the school already put together. Yeah, that honestly, I got <laughs> chills when you said that, because that is like a blessing. It's just, it's great. <laughs> yeah. So now you have time to actually, you know, figure out the lessons plan and going back and to see what, you know, rather than yeah. snapping shelves together. Mm-hmm. I, I went to a school the other day and I was dropping off maybe like 13 shelves. And it really is mind blowing because there was an army of staff and they were setting up a bunch of new rooms. And I, I know that they were must have been working for five days straight, just putting together all of this stuff. Mm. And, you know, here we roll up and we just drop these things and they're just ready to rock and roll. And it's like, yeah. why is there this issue? And the bottom line is it's just money. No, the reason totally. why they don't do it is because it's more expensive for the company to assemble it themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't seem right, does it? <laughs> It's no. like, I don't want to hire the teacher who's buying my furniture to build it for me. <laughs> Why don't we just build the furniture and deliver it? <laughs> yeah. And and that goes back to one of our favorites. Such a maverick uh, idea. <laughs> <laughs> it goes back to um, one of our favorite feedbacks that we've gotten from a guide. And, and it was someone who said that, you know, what we build our furniture for early learners uh, with integrity. And, you know, that was before we really kind of embraced, you know, what our general thesis is for a company. And, you know, we loved that statement so much where as we move forward, I'm going to make sure that everything that we do is just based off of that. Like, let's just do work that's based off of integrity, no frills, no gimmicks and and just do what's right. I love that. It's so nice to just, you know, have that value and then know that, you know, even for the teachers too, like they know that it's coming from a good source and a good place. So that's great. All right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because I want to ask you guys what it's like to be a Montessori dad because I think often dads are kind of excluded in the parenting education world. Not necessarily on purpose, But I just, working in the admin, I remember we were always like, we got to get more dads in here. Or like, what can we do to get the dads in? It was always like a thing. So can you speak to that a little bit? Because you're my first Montessori dads to be on the podcast. So well, we're honored. We're we're honored. And it's, (laughs) uh, you know, this is going to sound silly, but I've always had kind of a chip on my shoulder about like uh, dad portrayal in the media. It's, we're always the Homer Simpsons. We're always oafs. We're always just banging into stuff. And I know. If it weren't for our hot wives bailing us out, you know, how would we make it anywhere? Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I I mean, it's uh, if you take it just and really try to understand the process and what the first thing you got to learn, I think, is how to communicate in a thoughtful way. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's that's been very helpful for me just because my my little girls are still pretty young and. how to problem solve. Um, and too often, I think the trap is, uh, the child is upset. The child is frustrated. I will fix it for them rather than giving some sort of foundational support that says, okay, um, 
you know, tell me about how you're feeling. Uh, tell me, you know, what's got you frustrated. Are there any other solutions that you can see and let them go on that journey together? It's not always the easiest thing to do, but in terms of long-term foundational stuff, I think it's, it's really helpful. You know, something I wanted to bring up earlier was uh, just how I feel like Montessori education builds confidence in a way that you don't see in other learning environments. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's an attributable feature to, uh, that. And, you know, uh, probably the cliche is, you know, you get out of it, what you put in. And, uh, I'm sure there's tons of Montessori dads out there that are as grateful and appreciative of the process as I am. Yeah. I, I think that's probably my big takeaway as a, as an MD. I'm empty. That's my new thing. (laughs) I love it. One of the things I was thinking about is also how when you're saying you don't get to talk to too many Montessori dads is that this is a shifting paradigm where, you know, Paul and I are both in our later 30s. And don't do that. Don't do that. Paul's in his late 20s and I'm in my (laughs) late 30s. And, uh, and, and he's a good kid to have around, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, and it's that it, it, certainly with a lot of our friends, there are a lot more dads who are doing a lot more of the childcare while the moms are out, yeah. uh, you know, doing predominant breadwinning. Um, and that's certainly the situation that, that was happening in my household where my wife is, you know, working a really great job. And for the first several years of our daughter's uh, existence, I was uh, staying at home and, and doing most of that work. And I know a lot of fathers who are doing that more so than, let's say, even 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that being said, I think we will see a lot more uh, Montessori dads in the fold as time evolves. Yeah. Um, but when it goes to what have I observed as being a father, uh, with a kid in, in a Montessori program. I, my daughter said something really great the other day where she, we, were, we were having pancakes. We're having Sunday morning pancakes. Nice. And then she said, well, you know, everything has water. And I was like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, the pancakes, there's milk. And in the milk, there's water. And in the pancakes, like, well, that is pretty mind blowing that you're putting this together. And I know for a fact that she got that from her Montessori program where she was first learning, well, what does it mean? Basically, there must be a term for this of connecting the dots of, well, what are actually the things in our environments that are connected that create the things that we currently enjoy? That's one part of it. And then the second part is in her classroom, they had a, a, a block of wood and they had a hammer and nails and they said if you ever want to go over to the block of wood just pound in a nail and you know have fun <laughs> and what I love about that is that Nina who's my daughter uh, she always wants to build with me or she yeah. wants to explore what I'm doing and so I, what I like is that there is no kind of preconceived notion of what certain children should be doing and I don't want to say that that's gendered or not, but I certainly do like the ability for people to any kind of kid to explore whatever their impulse is. Yeah, I think what you guys say is really important because I think that dads in the past haven't been as involved 
and that's just the way it happened. Not every dad, I'm not saying that, but it's just sort of been like, I think society's been like, well, the guy goes to work and, you know, and then he comes home and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's really great that um, it's kind of a new, a new age for dads. And I, I love it because I think that, I don't know. I mean, I even, this is sort of different, but when I was planning my wedding, every single place we went to would only look at me. They wouldn't even talk to my husband. And I remember Xander was like, it's like, I'm not even here. And I think that education in that world can also do that. Sometimes you're only talking to the mom and then the dad's just kind of like, I'm here too. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's so much like that. I mean, uh, it's it's like that at the doctor's office. And I think we, you know, we, you know, the nurse is just looking at your wife, the mom and being like, tell me what's going on with the child. It's like, you know, I've had, when I've taken my girls for an appointment, they're like, wow, you're so specific. I was like, well, just trying to be involved. Right. Or, or people are shocked when like the dad knows the nap schedule or like the allergies of the kid. And I'm like, well, why shouldn't, you know that I don't know. Well, you know, maybe this is one of those things that will be really fruitful coming out of the pandemic because I, I think, by and large, now and I'm, I'm sure many couples would agree that it's just gotten harder and harder. And if everybody's not in there tilting against the windmills, it's uh, it's it could be extremely challenging. And so, I think, like Joe's saying, we're we're probably going to see that paradigm shift. And uh, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, important. It's important to be involved. It totally is. Going back to the foundation, I mean, like what's really cool about what we're trying to establish right now and what's great about, you know, getting such positive feedback from uh, our clients is how, you know, currently we're very, we're small and we are continuing to grow. And knowing that we can really create whatever we want as we grow uh, one of my primary objectives is to be sure that as we bring on crafts people is to ensure a diverse uh, group of builders and, and a company that isn't just sticking to the normal way of doing things, or at least the conventional way, and to be sure that we are being very conscious as to, well, is our company representing all of our clients? Mm-hmm. And how can our staff represent everybody? And so I'm very excited about anybody coming to us and saying, hey, you know, we love the aesthetic, we love the craftsmanship, and we want to be a part of this. And I'm very excited about building this foundation uh, with all kinds of uh, people in our community who represent all of the communities that we want to touch. That's super important because I think that. Montessori is kind of trying to, it's always been, you know, marketed as inclusive and for everybody, which I do believe that Montessori is for every single individual. However, you know, the fact of the matter is there's been a struggle with it because Montessori is usually expensive. It's usually not in the public sector. And, and so it's sort of funny because Maria Montessori started her work in the slums of Rome. And then here we are in America where it's only in the private sector that you can get Montessori. So I think Montessori also to your point, like what you're saying about sapling supply is really trying to break those boundaries and be way more accessible because that's the way it was supposed to be in the first place. You see this going on uh, worldwide. And I think that we're going to have a new understanding that inclusivity does not always equal accessibility. 
Yeah. And that's what's going to have to change for everybody. Um, and it's going to be, you know, we, we started to, we're starting in the very beginning a process of working with the Cleveland uh, public school system that has a traditional public Montessori school. And yeah. uh, they've just been a joy to work with. And they obviously have a very large metropolitan school system. And, yeah. you know, to see that Montessori school embedded in there, uh, it's just a joy to work with them that I'm, I'm so glad that we've found each other. Uh, but it's, it's a unique conversation dealing with somebody who's dealing with bureaucratic budget constraints. And uh, it's been an interesting process for both them and for us to figure out like, you know, how can we help each other? Tell us when the timing is and we're going to meet you halfway because, you know, at the end of the day, the most important thing is to get this product out there to the kids, to the guides uh, so they can take advantage. And, uh, you know, it's funny as we just keep talking about this, how all of these things are interlinked, you know, the social structure, the, relationship between dad and kid and dad and school and dad and teacher. And uh, we're happy to be part of the fabric that's pulling this all together. So what, so that's a bit, that sounds like a big project. What else is in the works for Sapling Supply this summer? I guess this might be a busy time for you guys because pe- people are not really in school. So maybe they're thinking about next year. Um, and uh, no, we've, we've got some irons in the fire. Uh, we've, uh, partnered with a school in uh, your neck of the woods in Virginia that's just launched their first operation and they're looking to expand next year. Um, We got the thing going in Cleveland. We got some stuff going down in uh, Texas. Uh, We're waiting to hear back on. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we're, uh, we're trying to get up and running. I love it. That's so exciting. Just a word to the wise something that you cannot find on the internet. And I had to have, I have a carpenter friend here that made this for me like five years ago before I knew you guys is a chart box for elementary charts. They are literally nowhere on the internet. So you should make those. Do you make them already? I feel like I looked, I don't know. What's funny is we were just talking to somebody about a chart box. You have to literally, okay, I'm telling you, make them because you can't find them on the internet. Well, folks, you heard it here first. The That's new right. sapling supply chart box debuting next week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoy I like any feedback where someone can say, hey, these are the things that we need and we can't find them. And, sure. you know, why don't we just provide those things? And, mm-hmm. and then whenever we can pump out the designs and make sure that they work in the application that the guides need, then we just. Uh, know that there's a new product. And that's really been the whole evolution of the company in in a 100% organic way of saying, we're not, you know, brainstorming what we think somebody needs in the closet. We're just saying, no, just like, let's just actually have a conversation. And then we can try to do the best we can. I love it. Um, That's one thing. The other thing I was thinking about, and this is a crazy idea I had uh, on the airplane the other day, coming back from um, looking at a new factory space. And I just happened to be sitting next to a Montessori teacher. Amazing. And, <laughs> and we were just chit-chatting. And, you know, this isn't something we can do tomorrow because we're trying to get the company uh, off the ground for us to be able to really embrace all of these greater goals that we're trying to achieve. But one of the things that I would really love to do in the future is for us to establish some kind of way that sapling supply could then 
provide services to communities at which we know I don't have as much access to Montessori yeah. uh, education. Mm-hmm. Because we're already, we've already said this is that currently, certainly for the uh, lower age groups, uh, this is still a for-profit um, general yeah. uh, thing. I mean, like, uh, and so we know that there are certain kids out there who who are not going to be able to be into these programs because of financial mm-hmm. um, limitations from uh from things that they don't have control over. So how could we bring Montessori to these communities that can't otherwise afford it? So I think it would be interesting to then start thinking about, well, what does it mean to have a non-for-profit entity that could be a part of Sapling Supply who could provide some kind of Montessori education to these communities um, in the future? So like, i.e., you buy a bunch of shelves from us and if you add another 10%, it'll be tax deductible and it will go directly to funding these other schools that are for nice. communities who can't otherwise afford. Nice. Um, I don't know how we would do that, but that's certainly something Putting that it we're out trying there. to. So important. It's so important. Well, this has been a delight. And thanks guys so much for being on. Really appreciate it. Fun, fun, always a fun convo with you two. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Rachel. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joe and Paul, for being on All Things Montessori. And thank all of you for listening to this really fun episode. If you want to learn more about Sapling Supply, the link is down below. But you can check out their website at sapling-supply.net. And again, our limited time promo just this month, you can get anything site-wide 20% off using the promo code MD20 in honor of Montessori dads everywhere.